Hi, welcome to the Urban Lifestyle Report with Carolyn Morris Walker, your host. My name is Carolyn Morris Walker, and I'm your host for the Urban Lifestyle Report podcast, a platform that exemplifies Blacknificence and Black excellence in the Black African community. This is a place and a space to showcase the people of African Black descent who are often invisible and not recognized for their many talents, contributions, and achievements, not only in their communities, but to the world at large. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled when I meet these fascinating people in my community who are doing amazing work in a plethora of areas. Whether it's a nine-to-five, a side hustle, a part-time gig, or venturing out as an entrepreneur who who are executing their aspirations and dreams, I believe our community needs to hear about you. So today, I'm delighted to have Kimani Peter, a phenom that I met last year at the Black Diamond Ball, and I was encaptured by his genius. He is a young Black tech social entrepreneur, and he's the founder of Loud, a music tech company that provides services to small music labels and emerging artists. Kamani, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. So tell us about yourself. Uh, How did this um, social black tech social entrepreneurship come about? Give us a little background about that. Right, right. So I would say it came from a place of um, wanting to see change in the community that I came from. So I was raised mostly in Rexdale, born in Jane and Finch, moved to Rexdale when I was eight. Um, And most of like what founds me, uh, like most of the experiences that I had in Rexdale really kind of created my worldview where I want to kind of see change because Rexdale is a great community, but it has uh, been marginalized and uh, disenfranchised economically. Um, so entrepreneurship seemed like the the solution to some of those problems. And so I pursued it. Yeah. And I think that speaks to um, black owned business and having, uh, you know, areas that are for us and by us, because that's where our empowerment comes at the end of the day. Correct? Absolutely. 
Yes. So tell us about, you are the um, innovator, designer, and founder of Loud, a music tech company. Tell us a bit about that. What does that mean? What is all of that? <laughs> For those of us who just don't know, it sounds really great. So technology uh, is a space where a lot of power comes from, right? But um, who gets access to technology um, is who gets to write the stories of the future, who gets to um, decide what music we even listen to. Uh, and so music has always been a passion of mine. I was an artist when I was 16. My dad is, plays every single instrument that exists. And, like, of course, the culture. I'm Grenadian descent. I come from a rich music culture. So music just made sense to me. Um, so when I was discovering entrepreneurship, um, finding something where I could make a change in the music space was what I wanted. And what I realized was that technology is creating a great divide between the small um, small businesses like small labels and the majors. Um, the majors are able to buy every new innovative technology that comes out. Um, they're able to create their own in-house uh, departments just to making cool technology. Mm -hmm. And that's giving them the upper hand. So what Loud wants to do is be a technology specifically focused on giving the small guys superpowers. So that's the uh, small labels and the emerging artists. Uh, we create technology uh, just for them. Um, they access it through a subscription. Um, and it allows them to play on the same level as majors. Wow, that's very impressive. So what kind of educational background like, do you have in order to move a project like this forward? Like, Do you need a specific education background? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the, the, those people that uh, I created a term called hacking my education. I've done a life sentence in school, <laughs> which I loved every moment of, but it was very... Um, uh, very at odds with the structure of school. And right. I hacked my education by basically trying to get myself immersed in all of the things that I wanted to know and learn, not necessarily a career path specifically. And so I started uh, my educational journey. I started in uh, at Carleton in the School of Industrial Design. And uh, mm -hmm. the field of industrial design is a very tech-centric field, although it covers a lot of um, other ground. And I did that for three years. Um, and then took a detour into women's and gender studies Wow! <laughs> and just like any course that just like kind of fed my, my curiosity. And it was, of course, going to Carlton was trying to solve the, the problems that I, that I mentioned earlier growing in Rexdale. Right. So of course it just made sense to explore the courses that were talking about social um, movements and social issues. Right. Um, and then I decided, okay, I'm done here at Carlton. I didn't get the degree, but I jumped over to OCAD. I, I transferred and they said, hey, come here. Like, you just, you've already did so much school. Like, be here for two years. We'll give you the paper. Like, come on, please, please come. And I, I was so excited because the Digital Futures uh, program really... Um, uh, really had this philosophy of self-directed learning. Um, and I thought, oh, this is perfect. Um, and I was building Loud at the time, and I felt like, cool, I don't have to build Loud and try to get this degree. I can kind of fuse it in one. And the Digital Futures program allowed that. Um, in, the, in that program, you explore things like coding um, and even broader ideas about technology's implications on society. And all those ideas, I took that, and I continued to refine the idea of Loud and what position and what goals it has for the future. Um, and... That's uh, been what I've been doing for the past two years, and I'm about to graduate as a designer with a Bachelor's of Digital Futures next month, so I'm pretty excited about that. But that's the educational journey that kind of leads to you being able to say, like, I, uh, I know technology and I want to apply it to solve problems in Black communities. Congratulations on graduating. That's awesome.
And I like the idea that you were able to go to Carlton and take those pieces and then turn it around and guide you into OCAD and the combination of it. That's that's really good because sometimes we think it's a straight path, but it's not generally that, you know, there's a little bit of zigging and there's a little bit of zagging, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and so, and, and here you are, uh, congratulations on this huge accomplishment and achievement. And then the best piece, I think for me, is the idea that it tied into your uh, business and your entrepreneurship. And so... Tell us about Loud. What is Loud? Uh, in a little bit more details. What kind of services do, do you offer? So Loud has three pillars, and these are three bold ways that we want to uh, exist in the future of the music industry. And one is music production. So Loud believes that every artist should have access to making music. Um, the other is platform, um, which I'm going to talk about in really broad terms because it's a really... Um, like Complex. nuanced area, yeah, okay. but platform is just basically the idea that everybody should have the opportunity to have their music heard, right? Mm. Um, and then the next is kind of, it's called, it's music or label, like this idea that gatekeepers shouldn't decide which music we all get to hear and who gets right. to tour and who gets to expand their audience. Uh, it should really be data that drives that, right? So that listeners can, in a democratic way, decide who becomes that you know, that mainstream success or that person that reaches larger audiences, not somebody who is a label exec in the back of a room that's like, I really feel like this is the future of music. And that's really interesting because I think that, you know, as the um, end users of watching musicians who have done well in the industry, we have no idea of the backstory to get there. And it's a hard grind. It is. You know, it, it, it looks like when, you know, we're watching all of them doing their thing and they've been recognized and they're getting awarded. The, the backstory to getting there, it's not an easy um, place and space to be in, you know, so, you and know, staying there and staying there. <laughs> and then on top of it, to have these executives who um, I think are co-opting from the black culture and then putting it in a framework that they think that works for the black. Yeah. And culture. also works for like their, um, like their ultimately their goals of being a profitable company. Right. So a lot of, um, music that we associate with black culture is almost a tiny sliver of also what's included in the culture, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that the directions of what we consider black culture, because popular culture is black culture, wasn't really decided by our community. It was actually decided by label execs who are like, people will listen to this, people won't listen to this kind of thing. So, which is really interesting because of the broader implications of just how does art and culture uh, get shaped by experience and by communities, but also how communities get shaped by the messages that they receive from the art and from the culture, right? And and again, that speaks to as well uh, the economic disempowerment of the Black community because we are the designers, we are the innovators, we set the trends, and these um, executives then decide how that's going to be framed. And they are the ones who are making the money as they extrapolate all of these resources from us. And we we main, and we remain disenfranchised and they're getting huge returns on their investment you know and so it's like that they get to harvest the culture kind mm -hmm. of thing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah and so there's a winner take all for the artists like you know the the community creates all this work together and it's really like there might be successful artists but they're taking from a, a convert like a culture right like they're 
um, articulating what's going on in their communities and things like that. So while they are, you know, the artists and they should be praised as such, the the music actually comes from a community, right? That's uh, right. So the yeah, so like you were saying, label execs they get to pick that artist and let them be a winner, but everybody else who was involved in the process doesn't really see those returns, right? Exactly. And uh, another piece I was saying, you know, I came to Canada um, from England in 1973. And as I was coming up, you know, you're going out and you would be driving, right? And you'd be hearing the bass line, boom, 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 <laughs> boom, 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 boom. And you look over and it would be somebody who looked like me. Currently, as I'm driving on the street and I'm hearing the wicked bass line, <laughs> right? And I look over and it's everybody else but us. And I'm just like, <laughs> you, you, you see the evolution of how the narrative about us playing that loud music, mm. right, has now turned into a narrative of defining what is cool and what is hip, mm -hmm. right? So it, it's just such an interesting change. And, um, and yet, even though it is recognized in the popular culture, we still have to live with the ne negative implications Absolutely. that come out of that. Absolutely. We don't benefit that. We don't get the positive shine from that. So, so did you talk about the third pillar? The third pillar, yeah. So music production, platform, and the third pillar was label kind of thing, or music. <laughs> okay, excellent. So, um, as an influencer in the area of tech, social, entrepreneurship, what types of trends do you see that intersect with music and technology? Can you speak a bit about that? So, I would say everything. There's a quote that says, like, software is swallowing up the world, right? Like, everybody, it's kind of like the the thing that everybody's kind of talking about, either they're so afraid of it or they just can't wait, right? <laughs> um, so I would say specifically in the in the music space, well, you see kind of streaming taking over. There's like a real big battle between Spotify and Apple Music. Mm -hmm. But um, I think both of them in, are, are flawed in one particular way, which is this kind of idea that, uh, that the, the channel can be owned by one person kind of thing. So Apple, um, the reason why Spotify is up against Apple right now is because they're saying Apple is effectively creating a monopoly. When they released their Apple Music uh, app, they made it that much difficult for uh, Spotify to be on their platform, to be in the App Store. Right. <laughs> but it's really interesting because, honestly, if Spotify were in the same situation, I, I imagine they would do the same exactly thing. Exactly the but same thing. But it's good thing. for these titans to clash it out and battle with each other because at the end of the day, um, what happens is that Apple gets to decide who you listen to. There was like that one time where they made an update and they pushed like some U2 album onto everybody's phone. <laughs> and what was funny about that is my mom would be <laughs> like driving me and like going to work and she'd be like, like the YouTube album would play and I'd be like, mom, like, what are you listening to now? She's like, oh, this, this damn Apple. <laughs> they just download this thing on my phone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? But, um, so technology kind of has implications on everything. Specifically in music, I see it uh, concentrating powers and that ultimately defines culture and defines who gets to make music. Like, if you asked a music exec in the 70s what was going to be the most, like, crazy popular genre to exist, they would have told you Soka. They actually thought Calypso was the future of music. And Calypso is great. I mean, it's fabulous. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's not, but they would not, they didn't know about hip hop. 
And then hip hop came and it's 30 years running now. That's like the longest genre, like probably, I mean, I can't say in history, but it's of like current times, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I would say it has um, the the implications that music has and uh, technology has on music is that it's really taking away of whose who stories can be told, told. Kind of thing, which can be an isolating experience for people that don't hear their story. Exactly, because if it's not for us and by us, um, and it speaks to also our validation in the greater world, right? So where's our value if we're not seen, if we're invisible? And yet we know better. We know better. And when you speak about um, soca music, it's really interesting. I'm a reggae head. Like, <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. I am a total reggae head. And a few years ago, um, there was this uh, Calypso tune called Because I'm a Trini. <laughs> and that tune was mad in me, mad in me. And I realized that it, there's a real nice um, fusion now with um, reggae and Calypso and Absolutely, even yeah. Afrobeats. Afro that, right yeah. and 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 I and I'm thinking this is the way it's supposed to be yeah. right this is the way it's supposed to be a fusion of all our music and yet we have distinctive uh, backgrounds and 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 the music for itself and how it speaks to the community and the culture but this whole idea of fusing together I think is pretty awesome speaking of that that actually um, reminds me of uh, a song recommendation I'm gonna make which is Santee rapid fire perfectly like encaptures that idea of of music coming together from so many different cultures in so many different places it's a song that features an artist from south africa nigeria and ghana oh wow and they are it's it's dancehall music <laughs> within like afro beats kind of flavor and when it happens when you listen to it you understand why it's called rapid fire it's really good <laughs> i'm gonna have to i'll check that out and you know the other piece that i think about too is then it speaks it there's this historical context right so there's this commonality of our history and our sounds that that's what kept us um kept the culture going right it, it is the sounds it's the beats and even though they might be distinctive for different areas it is the social context that that's what we could have to remember where we came from as people as african descent and fast forward into this contemporary world and now saying hey here's the connection here is you know we can connect here because of our historical background i think i agree i agree i love to see like cultures in dialogue like the like the music doesn't have to literally say we are making this as like a uh, homage to all these different cultures you can just kind of feel it feel and understand it. um even if it's not even uh, explicit or or even the desired like outcome that the artist was really influenced by the same um i guess like ethos of that genre you know like mm -hmm. like dancehall and reggae music are like they are from a tr tradition of resistance right and 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 embracing youthfulness is mm -hmm. like bringing together a new kind of like idea for the future and and it will be loud and it will be rambunctious right and the same thing like that music when it's carried to other places when it was when it's hitting west africa and it has a, there's a very strong like dance hall um com like like scene right. uh, over there it has that it's carrying the same um like it's achieving the same goals in a completely separate place, right? Exactly. And it's uh, really influencing um, this kind of like underground scene where Santi and the Rapid Fire crew like are really like a part of. 
So it's like, it's a couple years later, you see the same trend happen in a completely different place. What Dancehall did, you know, for its context in the Caribbean, it's doing in West Africa in the 80s, 90s, you know what I mean? And so on, right? And I'll tell you an interesting story. I was a teacher in Japan for three years. And what I, um, they have a reggae sun splash in uh, Japan. I was trying to go to a stone love dance in Japan, my, my <laughs> Japanese friend, I found the poster. My Japanese friend gave me all the directions. <laughs> I couldn't make it because I got snowed in. Couldn't make it. But I have to tell you something. As um, artists, and not just reggae artists, but if you don't... You see the power of our music because as an artist part of you getting out there and promoting you need to go to japan mm-hmm. because they have a massive there's a there's a couple of dancehall artists that they didn't break in in jamaica but somehow on itunes they got really popular in japan i, I forget his name but this yeah yes. yeah definitely yeah and 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 and, and at one point the dancehall queen was a japanese girl Wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. wow. Right? So I, I think about as influencers, right? And the whole how other cultures um, can also capture it and, and, and integrate it into their own culture, which Japan is so far removed from we are, mm. but not really because the power of music, right? And the connection, the beat. It doesn't matter if you understand the words. It's the, you know, you can you can lock into the beat initially and that's a connecting force, right? Anyway, that's my <laughs> uh, 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 taking a look at that in a, in a kind of a broader context. So what drives your passion, Kamani? What drives your passion? When I talk to an artist and I tell them what we're doing um, and they look at me like, this is what I need kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or they tell me that this is perfect. I wish I had this when I was starting kind mm-hmm. of thing. So a lot of the things, um, like what we're doing now is just a really small piece of the plans that we have for the future. So just kind of thinking that, wow, people are already excited by this little taste of what we're doing. Um, I just think about how it's going to enable new art, new art forms, new artists kind of thing. Specifically, I didn't I didn't get to talk about music production more in depth because that's the first service that we have up. Um, so that's the loud box, which uh, tell I us about with you. the loud box. <laughs> I I have to tell you, when I met you and you were talking about this box, I was like, what? Like, how? And, yeah, you drew on me in immediately, and I was like, yeah, tell us about the loud box because there's this right. brilliance, brilliance. <laughs> So with the Loudbox, what we really wanted to do was make um, music production more affordable and more predictable for that emerging artist, right? Because, you know, everybody who's an artist, it's like, well, why didn't you start? And they're like, oh, I can't figure it out. I got to figure out studio time. And it just seems like this big hurdle of like money and also knowledge that you have to get there to even just start making the music type of thing. For some people, that could be a year or more, depending on, you know, where their resources are. So we really wanted to make it easy for an artist to just start, get their feet wet and decide, hey, you know, music, this thing is for me, right? Right. So what the loud box is, is we have a recording pod that we can place anywhere. So the idea is that an artist can transform any space um, in their ho- home or anywhere else into an extension of our cloud studio. 
They're able to record on it. We have amazing producers. Uh, JT's a genius. <laughs> we just put that out <laughs> Shout there. Shout out JT. Shout out to JT. <laughs> All right um, now. And they're able to deliver at-home studio sessions. So even for that artist, that that even just starting to record is a hurdle for them. Um, that barrier is solved by having a, an at-home producer that will come and deliver a recording session. Um, and then when they're done... Um, they send it to us and we mix and master it all off site. It's brilliant. And there is a, is there um, a link where somebody could t- uh, see this box and how it works and how brilliant it is? Like, where would we be able to see that? Definitely. So right now um, at loud.army. Um, anyone can go and purchase a Loudbox subscription. Um, right now, it's at a pre-order price because we're still kind of testing it out. It's still in beta, and we still want to see areas where we can improve kind of thing. So we offer it at a pre-order price of $300 for a quarter. For So for three months, you get to have the Loudbox, and we've calculated that that's enough time um, with support from especially from our producers to mm. produce an EP, right? So four to six songs kind of thing. Awesome. Your parents... You know, as parents, you know, we want our kids to go to school and get a good education. Uh, growing up, it was all about getting the good job. So when you went to your parents and they were talking about, and you were telling them about this vision that you had and executing it, how how was that conversation? How did that go? My family and my parents, is, like, especially, are extremely supportive of, of me. Like... To the point, to the point where I'm like, maybe you guys are too supportive. Like you've seen me, right? Like my mom will tell me I'm tall, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you, you, you don't have to say that. <laughs> like she's amazing. Like she will say you're like you are a superhero. You can do whatever you want. And I think this it really comes from the fact that my both my parents are educators, and I come from like a family of educators. Right. And my family are either in education or healthcare. Right. right. And like what was most important for me in my education is like, yes, that I go to university and and I really pursue it, but it was really just the idea of being a lifelong learner and pursuing the pursuit of knowledge, which I think is like, as I talk to other people, I realize that that's super rare to view education in that way. So um, as long as they kind of see me achieving what my goals are and how I've set um, what I want to achieve in life, they are 1,000% in support even before they fully understand, right? Um, and because we're just so um, analytical about everything that I always take the time to really explain to them um, what it is and what the idea is. And they take the time to give me the feedback. Even if it's like I don't get it or I don't understand what they're saying, they're patient and they're like, yeah, let me tell you where I don't understand or where this doesn't make sense. And so for really, for them, it was a no-brainer because they realized that even if when I started, I didn't have the right idea that I would get there eventually, right? It's That's like the process right. is more important than anything. And I say this because, you know, uh, to our listeners out there, um, we need to encourage our kids, our young adults, when they're not necessarily going to just go decide to take a traditional path in terms of their careers, but for the arts, because there is so much genius in the arts. And, you know, parents say, oh, starving artist, oh, you know, not going to, not going to be able to build a future from it. But from what I can see, um, the arts is a critical piece and we, and we must support 
all the time. And so to hear your story, I, I think that's that's great. And it ties in really well with that premise. Support your picnic them when they want to do the artists. Support them. Support them. Because there's a great career in front of them. And I think it also goes back to social context, right? Because when, again, looking at my parents, perhaps, or even my grandmother, you know, the life of a starving artist, um, the life of being a music artist back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s was a whole different thing, you know, with all of the kind of the Jim Crows and all of the entrenched racist discrimination that was blatantly in place. I'm not saying it's not in place today, mm-hmm. perhaps different, mm-hmm. but blatantly in place. So you would be very concerned if you're, you know, they, you, you, your, your child or, you know, came to you and said, oh, I'm going to be a musician. And then all of the things that go with that. So support your kids, support them being an artist. What has been your greatest um, challenge in uh getting loud, um, up and running. Uh, what has been your greatest challenge? Greatest challenge. Um, beyond loudness in life, patience. Oh. Um, when I when I started this, like, journey with loud, like, entrepreneurship, I, like, you know, but loud was just something that I wanted to see immediately happen. Right. And I knew that when I kind of, like, really arrived at the idea and wrote it down, I realized that I was committing myself to a really, really long journey. And I was like, I'm really going to have to learn patience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In life, like um, every three years, I'm a new person. So <laughs> every three years, I I get bored of whatever I was doing before. And you can kind of see that happen, like play out with my uh, my story of Carlton and OCAD, right? So I knew that I was like, can I get bored of this? And um, once I realized that, like... Um, that I, this music has been something that has always been important to me in my life, I realized, like, wow, okay, this is actually really uh, close to just me as a, like, you know, my whole being, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so I really had to be like, all right, I, I'm going to have to be patient. <laughs> right, right. And um, we're four years later, and I can say, like, I'm still excited uh, just as I was. And, and seeing the things that I wrote down four years ago start to play out now, is just so amazing. Like it's patience was a really if I wasn't patient I wouldn't get to have seen that, you know? Right. So patience was a really um is a really difficult challenge even still. Exactly. And I think the other piece too is that um that we there's no get quick, you know, get it done, do it quickly. That path really doesn't work because there's that whole process and working out the kinks and learning and moving forward and also re-strategizing about maybe the vision was this at the beginning as the foundation. But as you move forward, you realize, ah, I got to tweak it here. I got to tweak it there and that kind of thing. And like you, patience has not been my um, greatest quality. <laughs> and um, in my uh, work uh, career, I would change jobs every three to five years to my father's Shangrin. And my father. It just father, seems so refreshing, though. That just my, seems like how a career should go. Exactly. <laughs> and my dad would say, Carolyn, yeah, change job again. <laughs> oh, yeah, change job again, Carolyn. And I'd say, because this is what's making me whole. And all of those pieces and skills that I'm learning um, actually has actually attributed to where I am today, Absolutely. right? So it's always I, building on. Yeah. 
And that also speaks to continuous learning, right? That's another piece of continuous learning because sometimes we stay in the familiar and what we know because of fear, right? Comfortable with it, not going to make any change. And, you know, I'm just going to do this. And then you step out of your comfort zone and you realize your potential. It's all of a sudden like, oh my goodness, who knew? (laughs) But you've got to step out of the comfort zone to do that. Well, um, let me ask you one other question. Why do you think it's important to the Black community to support this kind of um, innovation and initiative? And why is it beneficial to us? So I would say, um, like, entrepreneurship um, is about problem solving. Like, um, like that is the root of entrepreneurship. People that know how to do it well understand it's about problem solving. Like, and also I wanted like put in context that entrepreneurship is informed a lot by capitalism, which has a lot of issues in itself. So I don't want to glorify those lessons, but I think as an entrepreneur, the reason why I gravitated to um to the this like title, I guess, is because of the opportunity to solve problems, right? Um, and the thing is, the people that are gonna solve your problems they have to experience them and to experience them, they have to look like you and see the world in the same way that you do and come from the community that you come to see those holes and see value in filling them. So just to put it like in the most simplest terms, um, black entrepreneurship is so important because white entrepreneurs are not going to solve our our problems for our community. They're not going to see them as valuable problems to solve. Um, And in a lot of ways, um, white entrepreneurship, is informed by capitalism and capitalism is informed by colonialism. And so the enterprises that they bring to life by consequence of being informed by a process where wealth was amassed from our like, you know, enslavement, enslavement and exploitation. Exactly. It means that the solutions that they come up um, for their communities and, and for, you know, mainstream society will have those implications. Right. So I think it's so important for, I don't, I don't like this idea of supporting a black entrepreneur because I don't I feel like entrepreneurship like you took that plunge. You know what I mean? Like you decided to go out there and no one should have to support you. Like your idea should be supported by the fact that people need Need the the thing, the service or the good or the product. But why would I I'd say it's so important to encourage um, black entrepreneurs and and to um, really facilitate them in that direction is because they are going to create things that solve your problems and they're going to create things that enrich and create prosperity for your community. Not always, right? Because there are a ton of examples of Black businesses that don't kind of see that broader vision. Um, But if we can really start to talk about how we can create a more wholesome and decolonized way of looking at entrepreneurship and um, encouraging and supporting it, I really think it will lead to a lot of um, quick um, changes um, that people want to see in the world. And I totally agree with that because at the end of the day, we need infrastructure that has been developed that then is beneficial to us rather than, um, rather than being users of these infrastructures. We are the creators of these infrastructures. And I think the other piece that is critical in that is that we are then leaving a legacy for the future generation so that they also have that um, spirit of saying, I'm going to have my own business. And race has nothing to do with it. You know, who, because I'm a black person um, or of African descent, 
I can, I have the um, will and the desire and the aspiration and they can look back to what you've done and what other people in our community are doing and say, yes, ah, I can do this. And I think that's really, um, it, 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 it has, um, I think, enormous implications to our future at large. Um, you know, there's this, um, I'm a sci-fi girl, and there's this piece about Afrofuturism where we define, uh, within a science fiction context, where we define um, our past, um, our present, and our future. And when I look at what work you're doing in the community, you are certainly, this is not science fiction, science fiction. <laughs> this is for real. Like this is actually happening. Right. So, and very, very um, important at, at the end of the day. Well, Kimani P Peter, you know, I am totally in awe over you. Um, when we met, we connected immediately. Um, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you. I, Thank you. I, um, you know, I'm a great supporter and I'll be at whatever it is that you, when you're moving along, you know, keep me informed. Um, how do people get in touch with you? How do people find out about Loud? Give us the deets. So you can follow Loud on all social media uh, at loud.army. On Instagram, on Twitter, it's um, at loud underscore army. Um, we have our website that you can visit to um, subscribe or check out the Loudbox subscription. That's loud.army. So that's like HTTP, no, HTTP colon slash slash loud.army or just loud.army. Not, it's not a dot com. Just letting people know. You can put dot army in there okay. and it'll pop up. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and yeah, and then you can follow me. Um, I always say my number is portable, so you can like share my contact on, um, the description of this podcast, do. um, can go anywhere. Um, and my email, you can share that as well. And we'll on do. social media, I'm at Onyx is loud. Oh, sorry. At Architect of Onyx. Whoops. <laughs> we just kind of switched over Onyx is Loud to Loud.Army. Sorry. There's a lot yeah. of... Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's at Architect, which is A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-T -E of Onyx, O-N-Y-X. Okay. That's fabulous. Before we close, inspiring words for people who want to just follow their dream. Inspiring words. I love how you just like threw me out there <laughs> you're like you said you're an entrepreneur you said you just gotta throw in there uh oh. words of encouragement um i would say that um this is obviously gonna be cliche but i would say keep it moving because like life is so long <laughs> life is so long and if that thing um that that conflict that came up stops you from continuing to do what you do. Um, that's the difference between the person that's like, I'm going to still do it and go through this really rough patch of my life mm. and go through this. I'm not saying don't take breaks or anything, but right. I'm just saying that um, and anything that's a challenge now is it's literally that it's, it's in the present moment. It's challenging. So you kind of just keep going to whatever capacity you can. It might not be your 100%, but it's 20 or it's zero, but you know, tomorrow it's going to be one. The day after that, it's going to be 2%. And you're going to wake your way back to being 100% involved in the craft and the thing that you want to do. And, um, and you just kind of keep going, even when everybody's not listening or well, the naysayers, it's not happening. Yeah, yeah. You just keep it moving. So I think that's really big because then when you look back five years later, 
the whole story kind of comes together and you realize that you, you know, you, that where you got to is a lot further than it was when you started. Kimani Peters, Peter, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm your host, Carolyn Morris Walker, Urban Lifestyle Report podcast. Kimani is certainly an example of what is Blacknificence and Black excellence. And uh, thank you very much, Carolyn Morris Walker. We're out.